All right, it is that time. Welcome, everybody, to our Wednesday night culture forums. Uh, we began uh, last fall, uh, having two then. We're going to have one every semester after that. So let me open us with prayer, and we'll get started today. Father God, we thank you for time together uh, as your people. We thank you for time to sit and think and uh, develop, uh, hopefully, biblical thinking about culture, about our children, <clears throat> grandchildren, about the next generation as well. Lord, help us as we seek to answer these questions, and Lord, just work by your Spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, it's good to have everybody here. We are live streaming for all those who are at home or want to watch it later. Also, gives you the opportunity to go back over it because I'm going to always in these forums talk way too fast because there are way too many questions to answer. Uh, so you can watch it later and rewind or share it with someone as well. Uh, but this is actually part two of uh, the last of our, our culture talks, was, which was on parenting our children in today's culture. So we got a ton of questions for that. I think we had answered eight or nine last fall, <clears throat> and we have seven more today. But I think we can make it. I think we can do it tonight. But I want to remind us of two headings that I've put this under uh, in thinking through uh, helping the next generation to deal with the culture, to uh, live in this culture, and <clears throat> how to think through this culture. And it was really the, the two parts being uh, proactive as parents and grandparents and reactive. Uh, the first part, it reminds us that we're responsible on a regular, daily, weekly, year by year, all through the lifespan of our uh, time with our children at home to develop a Christ-centered, gospel-driven culture in our home with our children. Uh, that's the proactive part. It, it answers that question, what am I doing to communicate God's word and God's ways to my children so that they're equipped, right? They have information, they have knowledge, they have ability to start thinking for themselves. But then the second part is reactive. We have a responsibility to defend our children from the culture. Uh, we need to learn more about the culture all the time. And uh, when you get older, like me, you can't keep up hardly, can you? It's just so much stuff all the time, everything's changing. But it's our responsibility uh, to keep up, <clears throat> to understand, and then help our children respond well to what the culture is throwing at them uh, left and right. Uh, so I'll remind us that whether we're being proactive or reactive, both of them are active. Right? None, of, none of this is passive. None of, us, none of it is just hopefully us sitting back and just uh, complaining about the culture <laughs> or reminiscing to bygone days when we didn't have to have these uh, conversations, right? Didn't have to even think about these things. No, we have to stay in the present of what we're dealing with today uh, and be active in that. So again, seven more questions tonight. Uh, most of them actually, interestingly, when I got to this half of the group, uh, are questions uh, mostly that have to do with how we train our children to be a witness in this culture. Not simply, again, just uh, uh, being uh, on the defense to what the culture is doing to them, but how do they turn around and be a witness uh, to the culture? Uh, and then we have a few others that are a little outside that, but most of them are in that uh, vein. <clears throat> so here's the first question. Uh, how do we prepare our children to stand for truth? And in parentheses, and be persecuted. Like, oh, well, that's no fun, the persecuted part. Uh, but hopefully, you know, they go together, right? When we stand for truth, 
uh, persecution will arrive on uh, the scene. Uh, but this question, as I started thinking about it, and again, all these questions, very convicting to me as a parent who, who yes, has older children, that it's been a joy to see them launch out in this world and now bringing me grandchildren, it's wonderful, but I still have children at home, so it's a duty is not done for me either, so very convicting to, to think about these things. But when I started thinking about this first question, it presupposes something, doesn't it? It presupposes that we as parents are standing for truth, that we as adults, covenant parents, grandparents, we're willing to stand for truth and be persecuted. Right? It's a lot to ask of our kids to go do that if we're not willing to do that, if we're too fearful to speak, uh, if we are <clears throat> refusing to make a stand in our world among other people ourselves. So it always starts at the top with our children. They're watching our example. So to send them out and say, you need to make that stand and we're not, that's a problem, right? So I'm assuming that this question, again, supposes that. It says, well, I'm, I'm standing for truth. I'm willing to be persecuted. How do I help my children in that same way? So where I think we begin then uh, is teaching our children why. Why? Are we required as believers to stand for truth? Why is this for us, not just for the few, right? Not just for the uh, highly educated or highly spiritual or the extroverts that just love debating, right? Why is this for, for you? Why is this for me? Uh, so I came up with four reasons. <clears throat> uh, first, standing for truth is standing for Jesus. That's the first thing we teach our kids. It's not standing up for my opinion or my beliefs or what I think. It's standing for Jesus. After all, he is the truth, right? He's the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, we know from Scripture we're either friends with the world or we're friends with Jesus. So when we stand, ask our children to stand for truth, we tell them we're really standing for Jesus. That's, that's why we're doing it. But second, we need to teach our children that standing for truth is the path to spiritual blessing, we want our children typically to have all sorts of blessings, but hopefully we want them to have spiritual blessings from the Lord. Psalm 1 gives us that picture right, of the blessing and the growth that comes from standing for righteousness as opposed to standing in the way of sinners, right? sitting in the seat of mockers. So standing for truth is a path to blessing. But third, standing for truth is simply being a witness to the world. Right? It's shining a light in dark places. That's what we're asking them to do. Uh, there's a lot of darkness out there. We're to be light. Uh, we're to expose the things that are wrong and against God. So this is, this is a witness thing. And, and that's what we're talking about is standing for truth. But lastly, we tell our children that standing for truth produces opportunity to grow in Christ. Because we need to challenge ourselves in that, don't we? Can we really grow in Christ as believers if we're unwilling uh, to stand for truth, if we're unwilling to be persecuted? Sam, I, I don't want any of that. That's for the martyrs of bygone days or presently, or that's for the missionaries, or that's for the evangelists. No, it's for the believer to grow in Christ. When are we going to make our stand? When are we willing to be persecuted? So that's the Why? Uh, let's answer the question then about the how. How do we go about this? How do we, practically speaking, help our children be ready, be prepared to stand for truth in their world, uh, whatever age? Uh, several things. First, we have to purpose, uh, 
deliberately, intentionally spend plenty of time talking about what is true and what is false. Over mealtimes, in the evenings, at bedtime, we need to talk not just about the scripture, which we do, should do plenty of, but we need to talk about the culture and its lies and talk about what's going on in the culture. Again, kids, and especially as they move up junior high, high school, they tend to be much more in tune to the culture sometimes than us. So we have to be willing to spend a lot of time talking about these things. It takes time to discuss some of these things. Look at all the time we're spending talking about cultural issues here, and we still go home like, ah, I still don't know if I get it. Right? This takes a lot of conversation. Just, just spending time with your children <clears throat> watching uh, entertainment media, TV, movies, whatever, gives you plenty to talk about, doesn't it? All the time. I mean, watching... Uh, they uh, skating this past week with my boys, and here comes pair skating, and the and entertainment media making such a big deal that this is the first time we have a non-binary participant in the Olympics. Anybody non-binary? It, it took me a second actually, because I'm, I'm watching. They're two Americans, and they're skating like pairs, and then they go on and on talking about non-binary. And if I hadn't been a little educated on non-binary, when my son would ask me what's that? Like, that's a person who doesn't think they're male or female. And then the, the media went on to talk about how wonderful this was uh, and how they were breaking the mold of pairs. Uh, instead of the man looking like a man and the woman looking like a woman, they both wore the same pantsuits so they didn't look binary. Like, yay, that's so exciting. I just wanted to sit and watch skating. Can't I just watch skating? But there's an opportunity, and there's countless of them when you spend time uh, at, at all around uh, the cultural entertainment media. So that is one way, that is one how we need to do. Second, we need to move from teaching our children just this is wrong, right, and this is why it's wrong, to teaching them discernment, right, an important word for us and the kids. Now, in, in in many ways, biblically speaking, discernment is a gift. It's a gift from the Lord. It's a gift of the, uh, of the Spirit. It shows the Spirit at work in us to be able to give us wisdom and understanding and discern right from wrong. But it's also a, a learned habit of thought. It's, it's a willingness to engage our minds in ways that question things biblically. And again, younger kids, they question lots of things, right? It's, it, it's easy. It's like my three-year-old grandson who was watching his favorite show, Go Dog Go, and noticed that there were two, <clears throat> uh, two dogs that were female, I believe, two female dogs that were married and had puppies on Go Dog Go. And, and the funny part of it is he was watching the show and my daughter's in the background just hoping it just goes right over his head. And the next day in uh, family devotions, uh, Braden happened to be reading uh, from uh, Genesis about Adam and Eve and how one man, one woman, and, he, and, and, and Lewis says, not in Go Dog Go. Those were two girls with like... Some, uh, Victoria called me, I'm having to talk about homosexuality to my three-year-old. Like, oh, we grandparents don't like to hear, but like, true, true statement. It's all over the place. So we teach them how to think about that from early on, how to, to be a discerning believer. But then third, we talk to them about how, and, and about what it means to be persecuted. 
You know, do we talk about what real persecution is? Unfortunately, uh, we talk about uh, other sorts of bullying and, you know, people being mean to you and ugly to you and calling you names that have nothing to do with being persecuted for Jesus, right? That just happen to do uh, hanging around sinners and, and, and those sorts of things. But uh, we have to talk about that if you're going to stand for truth, kids, you will be persecuted. What is that going to look like? You may be bullied, you may have threats, you may have name-calling, or worse, you have to be ready for that. Now, again, that kind of goes against our grain as parents, because we want to protect, especially this generation of parents, quite frankly, we want to overprotect. We want to keep them from all of that stuff. Uh, But uh, there's a time to protect, and there's a time to say, this is just what it means to be a believer, and this will be your life, and it's good It's right because our Lord was persecuted. Uh, Being persecuted is being a blessed, you will be blessed. That might come later, right? Stories I've had of people, uh, of teenagers that have gotten uh, in high school and then, of course, in college, gotten bad grades on papers because they stood for Christ. They stood for truth. They wouldn't just say what the teacher wanted them to say. So we must affirm that. We, we need to cheer that on as parents. But again, let's face it, we sadly can teach our kids either uh, purposely or unintentionally to kind of go along with things. Don't make a lot of waves. Just keep your head down. Don't, let them, don't be the one because we're afraid for them. Uh, we, don't, we don't want them to have that, that kind of experience uh, selfishly. Uh, but it's okay, and it's good. If your child gets a bad reputation in school because of Jesus... Good. If he gets a bad reputation because he's being a bad kid, that's a whole nother story, right? That's a whole nother conversation. We want to see uh, that sort of, uh, of boldness. And we keep on saying it as adults. You hear it from the pulpit. You hear it in Sunday school classes. You might hear me talk about it a lot in the podcast. We keep saying the church and Christians in America, we're going to be persecuted. It's coming. It's coming. Don't we always say that? But somehow we kind of keep it at bay in ways, like kind of just stay away from those conversations or stay too, don't get too far out in the world. Well, is the next generation going to do that and follow our lead? Or are they going to be willing to say, no, this is where the line is right here. This is what, what needs to change. All right. Question number two, uh, similar, a little different. How do we love our neighbors and cultivate relationships with neighbors who don't share our biblical worldview? And again, we're talking in the terms of children. How do we love our neighbors and cultivate relationships with our neighbors who don't share our biblical worldview? Now, again, we begin with the impact we have on our children if we as adults are loving our neighbors as we should. Uh, If we're not loving our neighbors well or we don't even know who they are or we're ignoring conversation with them, If we're not intentionally reaching out and loving them and instead isolating ourselves, well, what are our kids going to do? Now, they follow our lead, yet the reality is a lot of times, uh, and this has always been the case, I think, right, that maybe we get to know our neighbors through our kids because they're out there riding their bikes or playing or or in each other's homes or or whatever. Uh, And it's an opportunity. It's not just an opportunity for our children uh, to have relationships with neighbors, but it's ours. So we need to have the conversations, don't we? When they're, they're old enough to have these conversations, I think the starting point uh, is we teach them first about friendship. 
We teach them what biblical friendship is. Now, to a child, friends is, I, I want to be friends with everybody, right? There's a difference between being friendly uh, and being a friend and having friends, right? And according to God's word, true friendship is supposed to be between Christian brothers and sisters, right? Scripture is very clear what friendship does light have with darkness. It uses the word friendship very specifically, right? Uh, very much to denote an intimate relationship that is only possible in a, in, a, in a yoked relationship. Now, I know you might think, hey, I got plenty of non-Christian friends uh, that I grew up with in school or in the workplace. Uh, you, have, you can have, all, we can have all kinds of non-Christians in relationship, but they're not true friends, right? True friends uh, are those who, because they're believers, can sharpen each other, can help each other grow in Christ, to encourage each other and stand together to be a witness to others, whether, again, they're uh, cultivating those friends in school or in the neighborhood uh, or in the church. Uh, we need first to, to teach and have them develop true friendships because only on that basis can they properly look at the sort of relationships they should have with non-believers. They should have with uh, people that come from, as this question asks, they don't share our biblical worldview. So because they have those friendships, we're not saying don't make friends with them. We're not banning them from having friends. We're saying, nope, you're going to be a witness. You're going to be friendly. You're going to be kind. You're going to be loving. We're even going to pray for our neighbors. That's how much we, we care about their their life. Uh, yet at the same time, our children need to know the reality of how non-Christians are different than us. Uh, how are they different? These are just samples of conversation of any age. Uh, it's very important that you teach them the basics that say, hey, non-Christians and like Christians, we're both sinners, but there's a difference. As a Christian, you're convicted of sin. As a Christian, you're able to repent and turn from sin. Uh, a non-Christian can't and doesn't, has no clue about that. Uh, we're both made in the image of God, and yet we're able to recognize God as creator, and then in Christ, God as father. The non-Christian doesn't see themselves that way. Uh, all sorts of things you can say, right, to distinguish, because what you don't want <clears throat> to teach is that, again, that self-righteous attitude. We're Christians, you're not, so we can't have anything to do with you Dirty pagans, no. That's certainly not how Christ was, right, with, with non-believers. Uh, so we lead our children, again, to develop proper friendships with Christians, but when it comes to neighbors who are not Christian, uh, we need to teach them how to be a good influence, how to show them Jesus, how to pray for them, how to be uh, involved in positive peer pressure versus negative. Now, of course, that involves being... Uh, uh, on top of the kind of conversations maybe your children are having with non-Christian family uh, and children, right? To, uh, to be able to make sure that they are openly talking to you about what sort of interactions they're having because uh, our children, of course, can learn and absorb a, a, not, a biblical worldview really quickly from talking to friends or being in, in other people's homes. And so we have a responsibility to protect um, and ultimately, you might have to prevent some relationships because that's just not good. Right? That is, it's too much pressure. It's unhealthy. It's corrupting. But overall, the general posture is still to train our children 
that as believers, <clears throat> they can have the courage and confidence to, back to the first question, stand for truth, to have positive peer pressure to be leaders uh, among uh, their peers. And again, a lot to ask of children, but I'm, I'm in the mindset that we don't ask enough of our children. Uh, we, again, uh, are afraid to, to give them too much responsibility when they, they will fr- thrive more on that if we do. All right, the questions just keep getting harder. Those were like the two easy ones. Now they get harder. Here's the next one. How can our children confide with friends about uncomfortable family struggles and griefs? And in parentheses, for instance, my birth father is now a homosexual. Like, okay, Uh, that's tough on children, isn't it? To uh, have things going on in their lives. uh, uh, And how do I talk to someone uh, else, not just my parents or uh, or family, but friends, right? Um, I'm again assuming with this question that the children's friends that are being asked about are Christian friends, right? Hopefully they're not just, again, sharing things with non-Christians. Uh, because, again, we're, we're encouraging intimate connections with brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, at an early age, we should be teaching that. That's why you have brothers and sisters in Christ out there to develop, to, to have those sorts of conversations that are hard. So, of course, I don't know what age person we have in mind here, but depending on that age... Uh, we, we probably, for example, if they were a five-year-old, I don't think uh, you would tell your five-year-old, hey, tell your five-year-old little friend that your father is now a homosexual. You might hear something from the other parents, like, why did your child tell my child about that? I don't want to talk about homosexuality, unless, of course, a child had already watched Go Dog Go, and then it's okay. Uh, there, you're in the clear. Um, but so a younger age, you know, you're, you, you might say, you know, th- those are some hard things that we're just going to talk about as a family. But let's project out. And again, let's say we're 10, 12, you know, teenager uh, who longs for uh, close friendships uh, to, to walk with them through hard things. <clears throat> then it really will be a sweet thing, right, that a, ch- a child, a young person can talk about these things and share these things with another. Uh, in our world, again, it's, I don't want to digress too far, but in a very therapeutic world we live in, it seems like you know, we want, everybody wants a therapist so they can confide in uh, them all their deep, dark secrets and all their worries and all their concerns and all their past and whatever. I'm a counselor, you know I'm not putting that down, but Sometimes a therapist is just a rent a friend. That's all they are. And so uh, have friends, kids, and, and let's speak to ourselves. We need friends that we can share these struggles with as well. Uh, so if we're teaching that well, <clears throat> we, we need to teach our, our children some principles of sharing information like that. And not, not just, hey, my dad's a homosexual, but my parents fight all the time. It's really hard at home. It's, they might divorce, right? Or some other uh, painful thing going on uh, in, in the family. Uh, so here's some basic principles. Again, let me stop there. Assuming you're okay with your children sharing that. Sometimes we're not okay uh, with sharing with their friends. But here we go. Uh, you would teach your child first to do things we should do. But again, think of children. Uh, that they should ask their friend if they could share a personal part of their family life with them. 
and get them to be okay, say yes or no. Like, nope, not interested. Um, <clears throat> we might break this down in boys versus girls, boys saying nothing, girls wanting to share everything, but really that's overly general. Uh, ask first, ask if they really want to know. <clears throat> Second, you teach them, ask your friend to uh, keep this confidential. Not from their parents, they can definitely tell their parents, but from other friends, right? And this is not something, again, you want broadcasted around the school or around the neighborhood, or around the church. So ask them to keep it, it confidential. So early on, I think we need to teach kids what confidentiality looks like uh, and, and learn about that. Uh, then third, just share the information, share the facts, and share how hard it has been for you. But here's a key thing always to teach our kids. It's okay if they don't react well to what you're sharing with them. Be patient. You know, some things they might be shocked about. Again, I'm picturing in my mind what the question is, right? Uh, a friend tells another friend, my dad's gay. I mean, some kids might just roll with that like, hmm. Others like, that doesn't even compute. So be patient. <clears throat> uh, be understanding. And then last, be willing to hear uh, hard things from your friend as well. <clears throat> uh, so again, these, this, these are wonderful opportunities that... Maybe we don't think as much about parents, that our kids need that, that our kids are going through struggles. We want to always be the ones to hear from their hearts. That's good. But when do they start developing friendships that they can talk about stuff with each other and then even come back to you and talk to you about how the conversation went and get further wisdom of what uh, to, uh, to do next? Uh, now, again, the... the, the uh, the, the key here is that you're okay with that. Sometimes, again, we kind of put our kids under a, a cone of silence. Like, I don't want you sharing struggles that are in our home. I don't want, I want to keep an image. And, and if we're doing that, then here's the cultural thing. We're just being like the culture because that's how the culture wants to be. And I mean the, not the, necessarily the real pagan part of culture, but the religiosity sort of culture that says we're supposed to, all show up here at church and have it all together, right? Many, many people sit in my office and say, I'm the only one that has this problem in the entire church. I'm like, if I, did, if I wasn't having to keep confidentiality, I could make you a list that would tell you different, uh, <clears throat> uh, as well as my struggles, you know, but we're to, keep, we're to keep everything looking good on the outside. So are we inadvertently teaching our kids to do the same thing, right? To, to put forth an image of everything's right with us. Uh, we aren't going through anything. Um, so if the Lord does provide solid friends for your, your children, uh, they can certainly benefit from that, from not just having a playmate or not just having someone to do things with, but someone to really uh, be counseled and counseled in the, the way they can, uh, they can share at that level. Really kind of fulfilling Galatians 6.2, uh, bearing one another's burdens, caring together. Uh, these things. And hopefully, we're training them uh, to what we want them to be in adulthood. Because again, I think generally speaking, we adults aren't too good about that. We aren't too good about sharing our struggles with friends. We're willing to talk to a pastor or a counselor, but I don't think my friends would look at me the same way or, or understand or say the right things. <clears throat> but again, this is another way to be countercultural, that we can be uh, real. We can uh, be honest about our brokenness instead of keeping up an image. Teach your kids that that's what we want from them as well. 
All right, we're moving along really good here. Number four, it gets harder. How do we talk to our children about mental health issues their friends are having, i.e., my friend is cutting? All right, let me just, like I said, get harder. All right, so you get the general gist of this question, right? Um, <clears throat> your child um, is out there, again, hearing things, and another child tells them uh, they've got a mental health issue, and they use cutting here, but plenty of things that other kids tell your children that they're struggling with, that uh, they're dealing with. Um, you know, I, we would like to think our younger children don't have friends who are self-harming, uh, but sadly, what used to be an older problem ha has become a teenage problem, even a junior high problem. Cutting is, is uh, really rampant in junior highs these days. So you're going to hear this problem come down toward your children, however old your children are. But of course, if we're talking about youth, they're going to hear a wide range of things uh, from friends, uh, from friends of friends about what they're doing. And, and, and unfortunately, as our culture continues to go down the path of more and more wide open sorts of sin that, that they're calling uh, evil good or evil normal or even things that are to be celebrated, we are simply creating more and more people with mental and emotional issues from that, right? Uh, like we talked about last time, the whole transgender issue has now created uh, questions in people's minds that they probably wouldn't have asked, asked themselves 30 years ago. And now confusion they might not even have had. We've opened wide Pandora's box and all these conversations are, your kids are going to hear them from other friends. Uh, we know that depression and anxiety was once an issue of adolescence and adult. Now it's a child's issue. Uh, addiction was a very adult problem. Now we're hearing children, really young children, addicted to pornography. So they're, they're, they're hearing <clears throat> all of these things. And if you notice, by the way, the culture around us, uh, especially, you know, I'm thinking more of the Hollywood uh, culture, is becoming a lot more aggressive about mental health. I mean, we now have whole months, right? Mental health. We have testimonials on commercials of, we, you know, what's the saying? This mental health, mental health is health. Like, it, they're really full court press to, to deal with mental health issues, which at one level you're like, great. Another level, like, you're giving out a lot, a lot of the wrong answers, all right? But they're shining a light on all of these <clears throat> problems. Don't, again, another Olympics illustration. Uh, you remember in the Summer Olympics, big deal with, what was Simone Biles, you know, that, that her, you know, suddenly saying, too much pressure, you know, I, I need to take a mental health break, I can't uh, participate. And, you know, we've known all along that athletes have a lot of pressure, but suddenly we're talking about it more in the culture. And so all these people are listening, and it's, it's filtering down, uh, obviously, through social media and other places. Um, but if, you know, if they're so loud about it, where are we? Are we silent on these issues? Or are we speaking frankly to our, our children about these problems? So it's, it's a, really a good opportunity if your child comes home and says, hey, you know, my, my friend says he's depressed and he's on medication. Well, that's kind of crazy. Uh, well, no, it's not crazy, but let's talk about what that is. Um, <clears throat> we, we can have a conversation. Um, so uh, the message out there is mental illness is something you're born with and you can't fix. <clears throat> uh, it has to be uh, accepted. Uh, the, and yet we, as Christians, we talk about change. Uh, we talk about 
redemption. We talk <clears throat> uh, uh, many ways that very countercultural on mental health, uh, teaching our children to have a biblical view of problems. So um, when we're uh, looking at this opportunity, it's, it's wide open for us now in this question. Uh, so a couple pointers, again, just to, to help. We, we first need to help them <clears throat> uh, the, with the overall question of why. Again, we talk to our kids a lot about why. Like, why are people, do people have various problems? Uh, and the second part of that is we need to help them with solutions. Not just say, you know, I, I don't know anything about that. Um, what are some biblical solutions uh, to that? So if your child first asks a specific question about cutting, we'll use cutting since there's the example, you as a parent are responsible to get somewhat of a biblical education about cutting. Now, good thing you have a biblical counselor right here. So one call, <clears throat> one text, email, meeting. I've had many, many over the years. Uh, I need to be more informed of this, not to help my child, but to help my child help this child or be in a relationship with this teenager or whatever. Um, so get an education. Don't just look up the Internet. You're not going to necessarily get one there. Uh, but it, it's, um, <clears throat> it's essential to be educated. But it's also, again, remember, I, we, we're putting this under the umbrella of both proactive and reactive. The proactive part is we always teach our children uh, uh, several fundamentals, regardless of whatever the problem is. First, we teach them that all people have problems. We all have mental health problems, all of us, right? Because we have fallen minds, because we're, we're sinners, because we're weak, we're strugglers, we suffer, we live in a fallen world, the long list, right? And so we stop making like them and how strange that is, and us, people have problems. None of us are without them. But second, we also have to teach them that some of the problems that their, their friends are having uh, are often, often related to the struggles that they're having in their homes. Uh, maybe they live in a broken home or ones where, one where parents are always in conflict or they've received very little parenting and a lot of freedom. We have to, we have to teach them, again, the, the environmental nature, if you will, of our problems, like certain ones of your friends, they're going to struggle with this because of how they're being raised. But third, I think, and it might sound, by the way, that you think I'm just recruiting for future biblical counselors from your children. Maybe I am. Um, but we teach them these fundamentals. And the next fundamentals is we teach compassion and care, not horror, not, oh, that's weird, or, oh, that's awful, or, oh, that's strange. We teach them compassion and care. We teach them to pray for their friends. We teach them how to show kindness and mercy. And we mentioned that last, in the last set of questions when, you know, what happens again when uh, there's a child at school who, who says they're non-binary or, you know, whatever. How are you going to approach them? Um, first with compassion, not with, I don't want that person around me. Be willing to listen. Uh, encourage them in that. But here's the counterweight to that. <clears throat> we also teach our children not to see themselves as their counselor, right? that you feel the burden of, I've got to give them all the right answers. Believe me, I've talked to many parents that the kids feel pressure of, I've, I've got to be their counselor. They're calling me. They're mostly teenagers, of course, but they're calling me. They're talking to me at school. I, I've got to, no, you need to learn to be a friend. 
you can't at this stage, there's a big difference between being a friend and, and being a counselor that's purposely trying to, to guide them. Um, you actually probably should tell your friend you need a biblical counselor who can help you or your parents need some help. But be a friend. Uh, and so that means we never want our children to carry this burden alone. Uh, again, I've, we, Marty and I have had children that have come home and told us of what a friend talked to them about, and they'd had these conversations on the phone, and, and we didn't know about it for weeks. And we're like, man, don't carry that by yourself. We're here to carry that with you as you carry it with your friend. Uh, help, let us help you. You be your child's counsel through that and to be connected to that. Now, again, there, there may be situations, again, here's the protective side of the formula that you, with your wisdom, will say, you know, that's not a good relationship, that you do see it as a corrupting influence uh, and that your child's not ready, uh, and then you must protect. But <clears throat> the best case scenario is that your child wants to be a witness through these struggles, that they have an opportunity to enter into these problems of others to point them to Christ. Right? And to be that Christian witness to that. But again, we have to be uh, watchful. Uh, there are, uh, especially when we're talking, and of course I talk with our youth leaders all the time, uh, there are many problems because of social media mainly that go viral. Right? That uh, kids start talking about it and then they start asking about it and they start thinking they have it. It's like you know, it's like the person who goes to med school and they have every disease. You know, once they start talking to friends, they're like, I think I have that too. I think I, no, you don't, right? Um, you have to be careful because Satan can really play on their minds with all the conversations that are had out there about problems uh, that they suddenly think uh, they have as, as well. Uh, but maybe they will and you have to address those. All right. Number five. Uh, how can our children talk to other professing Christian children about positions they have adopted that are not biblical, i.e. pro-abortion, uh, pro same-sex marriage? This is an intriguing question. You get the question. So here's your child <clears throat> in friendships with other Christian family children, professing Christian, and yet they find out uh, they have different positions on big issues. You got the question? So uh, <clears throat> this, is, uh, this really poses to our children a conundrum uh, that sometimes we struggle with as adults, right? Like, how can they be a Christian and hold that view, you know? Um, we, uh, but we see this all the time. I mean, I have Christian friends who are pro-abortion. I still have a hard time to get my head around that. We've had many debates over the years. Uh, they've adopted some arguments of the political left, and, and they somehow have found, and they're, they're strong Christian people, they somehow think abortion is the right of the woman, and we sh you know, should always offer that. Uh, I've had Christian friends who have an unbiblical view of homosexuality. They don't see it as, as a sin. They see it uh, as something, an orientation you're just born with, and that's it. Right? Anybody else out there? Shake your head. We, we struggle with this as, as adults um, <clears throat> with either personal Christian friendships or, by extension, others uh, in the world that profess to be Christians. So uh, it's, it's no surprise uh, that our children are going to face that, uh, maybe because their parents are, are taking a certain position and they're just echoing it. But it's much harder for our children to understand that. 
Um, for one thing, again, uh, for one thing, because they're so black and white, oftentimes, again, they've got a good childlike thought like this. How, Dad, how can they think it's okay to murder babies and follow Jesus? Like, mm, that's a good question, right? These, they, and we can see the nuance in our head, but we kind of might go with them on that. Uh, and so, especially in the teenage years, there might be a lot of tear-filled conversations uh, about differences uh, they, they have. So here again, uh, let me give you a few general principles to, to answer this question. Uh, first and foremost, uh, they need to, again, learn to stand for truth, especially with other Christians. Right? We need to stand for the truth everywhere. We answer that in question one. <clears throat> but we need to t- teach them that throughout your lives, you're going to run into other qu- Christians. We already know you're going to run into other Christians who have different theological beliefs. We already know that, Right? But they're going to have different political beliefs, social beliefs that are against um, <clears throat> God's word. Uh, so we need to teach them, you're going to run into this. Right? this. This is just how it is. But second, we teach them <clears throat> that, you know what? This is going to sound profound. Hold on for it. Christians are sinners too. Everybody? We're going to teach our kids that. You know you're a sinner, right? So can other Christians believe lies, believe myths? Yes. Can their theology be off? Yes. Can they be, de- be deceived? Yes. Can we? Yes. Right? We're sinners. So <clears throat> we need our children to understand that this doesn't automatically mean they're not a Christian. Right? That if they believe that, they can't be a Christian mom. No, let's talk about that. Right? Christians don't necessarily, again, have everything right. So, of course, that means a little more compassion we're teaching our children and understanding mercy we're teaching them. Yet we return to the fact that we do need this next generation to be firm in their beliefs. Boy, we're losing that fast, aren't we? Uh, Because I think one of the places we're seeing that shift uh, among teenagers, college teenagers, and now floating down to younger kids is is our children can confuse uh, loving their neighbors uh, with, uh, you know, that I'm loving my neighbor, that's why... I don't question that they say they're transgendered or that they're gay or right, because I'm, I'm loving them. Like, good, you're loving them, but don't confuse standing firm in the faith uh, with love, because you uh, can inadvertently sell out your biblical convictions by being silent with someone that you think you're loving too, right? So <clears throat> we got it, and it's a struggle, because I, again, I've, I've seen too many Christian teens, young people, not wanting to condemn a sin because, simply because they have a friend, right? They didn't have a friend struggling with that. They might say, yeah, that's wrong. Now that they have a friend, uh, maybe it's not so, no, it's still wrong. And you can still love your friend, but you got to say it's wrong. Uh, in an effort to be understanding, you know, they can deny <clears throat> that the Bible is clear on abortion. It's clear on homosexuality. It's clear on gender. We only muddy it when, again, our emotions get in there a lot of times, and our kids do it too, so, uh, you know, we have, to, we have to help them with uh, <clears throat> what does truth and love look like together? They're not separate. Um, so then from there, depending on how much uh, of a friend your child is to this person, you can encourage them to speak up, uh, pray, all those things we've even, uh, we talk about. And again, sometimes this might feel like this is way out there, but this is in the Bible belt south too. You, you do understand that. It's here. Anybody? This is why we're doing this. It's here, here too with our children. All right, these last two, uh, left them for last. I think they're great. This one is a really great, intriguing question. 
Uh, number six, how do we parent sibling division within the family, not giving into a culture of division? I love that question because they made just a simple parenting thing into a culture question just to, just to put it in here. You see how they did that? Uh, <laughs> but really, as I started thinking about it, I'm like, huh, that's an interesting way uh, <clears throat> and a great point for us to acknowledge that, you know, we, we know what sibling rivalry is and we watch our children fight each other and we long for them to be closer, right? We all kind of struggle with that. And yet, have we ever put in the context that really <clears throat> part of the external pressure, other than the internal sin that they're battling, is that we really do live in a culture of division. It's a, it's a well-said question, I think. I mean, we're divided about everything, right? We divide over everything. Um, powerful people are always creating more false divisions between ethnic groups and rich and poor, and now gender, cisgender versus transgender is always us against you. Uh, <clears throat> and so we, we have to recognize that the only true division in this world is between those who follow Christ and those who don't. That's the only real division, right? Uh, everything else is somewhat manufactured and because of our, our sin. But we also have to recognize that we Christians can be just as divisive, right? That we're not immune uh, to being uh, divisive in many different ways. So it makes sense that we, we do learn much of our division early on. Uh, we learn it with the people we're supposed to be closest to, right? Uh, why, are, why do 55 to 60% of marriages end in divorce? I mean, marriage is built on division, uh, in the, uh, sadly, in our sin, oftentimes. Homes, siblings, uh, constantly divided. So to answer the question, <clears throat> I think we first have to confess that maybe and I, I, I could be, I'm, I could be, I need to confess this too. Sometimes we just passively accept that children, our children, because they're sinners, they're going to be divisive. They're going to fight. They're going to battle. They're not going to like each other. Now, <clears throat> um, it's a glorious thing when they're actually, our, our children, if we, you have more than one, become best friends. That's a wonderful thing. Um, it took me to about the age of 30 to be good friends with my sister. So, you know, it's a beautiful thing when it does happen. Um, but forget about how that part, realize what our responsibility is as parents. We're to work to that goal of unity. If, if we're all about unity here in the church and here among believers, we better be about it in our own homes. Uh, and so uh, here's some general principles to hold on to. First, we start early and go often on fighting for unity, talking about unity, fighting for love all their lives. Second, we need to teach good problem solving and conflict resolution. I don't think we do that well, generally speaking, as parents. I think we go for the easiest solution. Like, you go to your room, you go to your room. I don't want y'all talking to each other the rest of the day because they're just at it with each other, right? Am I saying you can't do that temporarily? <clears throat> no. But it's funny, uh, just over Christmas, for some reason, my, a couple of my kids were reminiscing how their mother put the two of them in the room together all day because they were fighting all the time and just put them in. They still talk about that. Uh, <clears throat> and it's funny. I won't tell you which do there, but they still remember it. It's a very memorable occasion. So, so instead of separating them, force them together, right? Force them death match, cage match, whatever. Now that can turn out poorly. Don't get me wrong. I've seen it turn out poorly, but what are we communicating? Sometimes again, in, in our striving for ease in our parenting, <clears throat> we, uh, we're just all about separation. 
you do this, you, you, you stay over there, there's your room, there's your bed, put your stuff over there, don't touch his stuff. It's all that, those messages are, are probably a thousand times more in our homes than unity, than togetherness, than sharing. Sometimes we start out really well when they're cute and then it, we lose it about in junior high. So let's do that. And it's also here, if I had extra time, I'd rant on technology again, even though I love technology, but we have to always recognize <clears throat> today uh, how much technology separates. Technology seems to only be about division in my mind. It doesn't bring people together, it separates us. You have, you know, you have your own screens, you have your own playlists, you have your own mo movie queue, you have your own uh, earbuds, you have your own world. Uh, and we've always been like that as sinners, so technology just helps us <clears throat> to be as separate as possible. I, I do grieve sometimes when I'm sitting at breakfast and I got one boy on his phone, he's on his phone, and I look down and I'm on my phone too. I'm like, what am I doing? Put those phones down. Well, let's, let's talk before we go. All right, there's always a battle. There's always a battle to be separate, to be divisive, even if it's not an angry division. It's just a division. Uh, I would add to this when I help parents on this is be very purposeful with shared activities and chores, especially chores. Marty and I laugh all the time that we, from day one with all of our large group of kids, when it was eight down to seven, six, now four, we're always like, uh, I mean, three, right? At home, three and I lose track. How many is at home? Uh, we always forced them to do the kitchen together, right? <clears throat> and as the years went past, we always had uh, smart kids, I say that with air quotes, that would say, hey, I'll take care of this kitchen myself. You guys go do something else. They just didn't want to work as a group. And we're like, no, 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 you get back in there. And it still happens today. Andrew and I, like, JC said I couldn't, I couldn't do the kitchen. He's going to take care of it. Like, get back in there. You know, we're always forcing them back in there. It's like, work together. No, none of this, I'm sacrificially going to do it myself. That means I want to be alone, put my earbuds in, listen to music, and, and take 40 minutes washing dishes. No, not going to cut it. You all need to get in there <clears throat> together. Uh, and so many other ways you can do that, but I'm running out of time. I got to get to the last question. Here's a doozy. What do we do about girls and clothing teaching them modesty in an immodest culture? One of you want to take that one? Anybody? Why do I have to answer that question? <clears throat> I, have, I have girls. And it, and it really, again, what I like about this question is just like the last one. It puts it in cultural terms. It recognizes that in our homes and what we're developing is our culture. We're, we're having to, again, uh, develop a biblical culture, godly culture, uh, a pure culture uh, versus what's coming from the outside and what's coming from the inside of our own hearts. Uh, and so we all recognize that so we'd be ignorant if we didn't recognize that we live in an immodest, highly sexualized culture. And again, maybe say, ah, it's always been like that. Didn't you read stories about the Romans and all that? Yeah, you know, it, in one sense, it probably always has been that way, but it feels more, right? It feels more just out there all the time. It's reflected, like this, this question, it's reflected in clothing uh, of young women, even, even young girls. So again, I, you know, having five girls of my own, we've always struggled uh, finding, you know, good-looking, modest clothing, um, and that's changed uh, even more. So I think the bottom line to this question is it takes both parents. If there are two parents, to, it takes both. 
Uh, it takes moms talking to daughters. It takes dads saying, nope, that's not going to work, right? Because <clears throat> I'm a man and I know what I'm looking at. Not going to work. And then you have to discern whether those outfits or clothing are immodest out of ignorance <clears throat> or just because of their long legs or their shape or whatever. And it's like, nope, might work on somebody else. Doesn't work on you. Or again, if your child is struggling with adopting the culture herself and has no clue and, and or even worse, wants to be uh, a little highly sexualized around friends uh, and others. And so uh, there's that. But there's also the reality that a lot of our girls are just naive. And that takes dad and, and mom saying, let me tell you what's, what's going on out there. You're not wearing that. And we're not dressing like that. We're not doing those things. Um, social media, again, is not doing us uh, any favors um, with kids willingly taking pictures and sending them of what they look like all the time in poses and in uh, all sorts of immodesty. Um, but let's not leave this question without recognizing <clears throat> that the biblical solution to the problem of immodesty isn't just picking out the right clothes and wearing the right clothes. Uh, it's the heart, right? First Peter 3 tells us that our, our girls must learn where true, true beauty resides, not in their external appearance, not in their adornment, not in the clothes they pick. Shouldn't be focused on that. Uh, instead of being focused on outward adornment, they're supposed to be focused on the inner beauty of that inner woman, that spiritual beauty. And we don't talk about that as much as we should uh, because it's, it's again, a, a place where we can give over to the culture. And that's just how it is. And that's just how people dress. That's how people act. That's how people behave. Um, and then the secondary part to that is we teach them, uh, and again, relatedly, our boys, but the questions about girls, that their modesty comes from a love for God and a love for others, right? Instead of a, uh, a, a not a love for God and maybe a, a people-pleasing for others or, again, a, a, a lust for others or, or an improper view of, of others and self. Uh, so... <clears throat> Hey, look, I finished at 723. Uh, that gives me seven minutes <clears throat> for any follow-up questions to these. If you want to ask a whole other question, just don't make it too big and too hard. Um, questions. You have to speak up loud so I can hear it, and then I'll repeat it for the live stream. You didn't think I'd ask for questions. You thought I just had all kinds of other questions. I, I talked faster than I should have. Follow-up questions. Yes, Andy. Uh, certainly, certainly. Yeah. The question is, you know, what about guys? Are they becoming more sexually <clears throat> uh, immodest? I, not, not in just the way, you know, men have kind of dressed like men do, but I think men, it, it seems like the culture again around us puts a lot more pressure on men, you know, looking, you know, beautiful too. So it's all still outward appearance. It's still all that fake sort of thing. So whether um, <clears throat> whether it's dress or whether it's uh, obsession about uh, fitness and weight and, and how you look, we've got that problem around. But I'd also relatedly say, you know, this, if you have boys in your house, <clears throat> we have to spend just as much time talking to them about how they're uh, looking at girls, how they're dealing with girls and, and, and the temptations that are for our boys and us as men with 
the cultural thing. So we spend just as much talking about how they should be about immodesty instead of, uh, that should be about, did I say about immodesty? They should be about modesty and uh, desiring that out of their friends, their sisters, right? Other people as well. Yes. That's a great question that yeah, for the live stream that, you know, the the defense from our girls and young ladies can, can be, I, I should be able to dress how I want to dress for me. You know, a lot of, maybe you, some of your women say that too. I dress for me. I don't dress for other people. It's their problem if they're lusting after me, if they're looking at me wrongly. And that's why I bring up the last thing. It's, it's got to be driven for a love for God and a love for other people. The retort is you're not loving your brother. You're not loving your brother if you're making it that much harder on them. Yes, they have a responsibility um, get their eye poked out if they lust. Yeah, uh, it causes them to sin. Uh, but y- y- you really just want to make it that much harder on them? Do you want to be the, the, the tempter in this scenario? Uh, what even, you know, Proverbs talks about is the seductress. You know, th- there's, it, it, there's, again, some naivete in there. And then if you mix in maybe a feministic worldview that says, you know, I am woman, I can do what I want. Like, no, we should all be considerate about our, take them to scriptures about causing your brother to stumble. It's not just about food choosing and, you know, food uh, offered idols. It's about, are you going to cause your brother to stumble? Because that's what you're doing. And, and again, it's, a lot of it's an education to our girls that, you know, they need to hear from their father and brothers as well. Great question. A couple more minutes. Any last question? All right, seeing none, uh, we again are uh, going to <clears throat> probably in the future, maybe hopefully find someone else to answer your questions, but no, we probably get, now that we've done kind of three general ones, one on culture, you know, two, these part, one and two on parenting in the culture, I think our goal is to do one of these each, uh, each semester and uh, fall and spring, and to probably maybe go deeper on one singular issue, you know, just kind of continue to put good information out there that would be helpful uh, to all of us. And again, things are happening so fast that a year from now, we could be talking about some of the same issues and have to push it a little further. Um, So uh, stay tuned for those things. Thanks for being here tonight. Um, Let me uh, close us with prayer and we'll go. Lord God, I thank you uh, for your spirit, your word that gives us enlightened minds and hearts, gives us wisdom. And yet, Lord, we know the reality in our own hearts, in our own families, that we must confess our failures often as parents and grandparents, that we miss things, that we, we don't speak to things as we should. We don't encourage our kids, train our kids in the right way. And, uh, and yet we have a high responsibility to do so. Uh, Lord, help us to grow in that. Uh, give us opportunities uh, to, again, speak and train and disciple our children. 
and recognize that we want more from the next generation of believers than simply uh, ones who are defending themselves from the culture. We want ones that are out there fighting the culture biblically and standing for truth and growing the kingdom and being witnesses for Christ. Help us in our responsibility to equip them to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.